AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Well, we finally saw green on most of the grain and livestock futures, except for Minneapolis wheat, despite some bearishness in the outside markets. Grains still look like they're in recovery mode, but even if the lows are in, just how much can the market rally? And livestock are working on chart breakouts with the tailwind of higher product values and firm cash, but is this a fake out? Live from Greener Pastures, well, Greener via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, we'll talk with Dave Chatterton from Strategic Farm Marketing. Directly following the news, Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. I'm the handsome newsman, Davis Michelson. And now, filling in for Chip Flory, welcome, Michelle Rook. Hey, thanks so much, Davis, and yeah. good afternoon. Welcome good to Good afternoon Agri to you talk. as well. How's everything? It's good. It's good. I love it when I can look at the board and actually see green for a change. Yes. Yeah. It's a... Uh, a rich tapestry of greens here, you know, and and if I'm looking over at the uh, the crude oil market, we're down, not a lot, yeah. But lower we were in the we were up today. big yesterday, and That's I right. talked to a lot of people about maybe a little bit of a chart break out there, but I don't know. We continue to kind of get up to the highs and then consolidate and fail. Right. So right, right, and it almost seemed like maybe the corn market did something very similar to yeah. kind of you know made a sweet move there and then <laughs> gave it all back. I know. I know we gave it back and I don't know if we ran up into chart resistance, but you know, we've had this sideways pattern going for like the last four days yeah. now where we end like a half of a cent higher, but yeah. I guess it's a half cent higher. So we'll take well, it. Right. And if, and if only, you know, you or I had friends, some sort of resources that we could rely on in times like these for answers, you know, someone we could just maybe have a conversation with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh. I know, I know. If only. Well, Dave Chatterton with Strategic for Marketing. We're going to ask him some of those questions (laughs) here today. I knew you would have We will ask him. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. No, Dave is going to talk about that. Matt Bennett is joining us as well from agmarket.net right after the news here with Davis Michelson. Take it away, our handsome newsman. Sure thing, Michelle. Winter wheat markets posted follow-through gains despite early dollar strength. Now, Australia is posed to produce much more wheat and other crops this year than previously thought. The European Commission is looking into ways of allowing eastern EU member states to restrict ag imports from Ukraine as it extends trade liberalization with Kiev. March HRW wheat futures today firmed 10 and one half cents to 617 and a half. March SRW wheat unchanged 596 and a half. March spring wheat declined one and one half cent to 699 falling below that $7 level in the yep. March spring wheat Michelle. I don't know if that's significant or not, but I got to say I don't like it. No, I don't either. 7 looked a lot better, but it looked yeah. like some spread adjustments cuz remember HRW wheat's been on the short side of those spreads mm. the last couple of days and I don't know, Chicago looked like it might have ran up into some chart resistance. Indeed. Well, Mark, uh, corn futures made a decent run to the upside early on corrective buying. But the March contract was unable to hold above 450, settling for a positive but low-range close. South American crop consultant Dr. Michael Cordonier left his Brazilian and Argentine corn production estimates unchanged 
noting a lower near-term bias. In other news, Beijing, who has been cautious on the development and deployment of genetically modified crops, has reportedly successfully completed its pilot projects for commercializing GM seeds. March corn futures firmed three quarters of one cent to four forty-six and one half. May corn added one half cent to four fifty-six and three quarters. July corn futures closed at twelve fifty-four and a quarter, and that's up a whole cent and one quarter on the day. Michelle, yeah, feels like we're really consolidating sideways. Mm. Well, a solid soybean meal rally supported soybean futures in today's trade. As strength in crude oil futures turned into pressure, soybean oil took a backseat to the meal market, which added impressive gains on the day. Dr. Cordonier left his Brazilian and Argentine soybean crop forecasts unchanged, noting a neutral to higher bias moving forward. March soybeans firmed 15 and one quarter cents. Uh, May beans gained 14 cents to 12.47. July closed at 12.54 and a quarter, up 13 today. I didn't write down my soybeans. Uh, Let's see, which one was that? My March beans. Oh, at 12.39 and one half. That's up 15 and one quarter cents. Not a bad, uh, not a bad day for the soybeans. No, we took out last week's highs. And so Dave and I are going to talk a little bit about whether we can build on this and kind of what's driving it. If it's just corrective action, this was the fourth day up, or if there's a little bit more to it fundamentally. All right. Well, March cotton softened 23 points today to 84.60. On your livestock, nearby live cattle are showing strength amid surging wholesale values, though traders anticipate delayed cash cattle trade again this week. February live cattle firmed 87 and one half cents to 174.65. April futures up 92 and a half cents to 177.82 and a half. And March feeder futures firmed $2.37 and one half to 233.65. And Michelle, I think we're still maybe waiting to see uh, the impacts of this ice that we've had early on this week, the frigid weather, the basically just the winter weather getting in the way of some of these cattle being marketed yet. And, uh, I just wonder what the next few weeks hold as we look ahead to perhaps some warmer weather there. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, chain speeds have been keeping up here, ramping back up here after the blip last week. But yeah, um, yeah that's going to be something we'll keep an eye on there, both in the cattle and in the pork processing sectors, for sure. Well, and speaking of the hogs, improved cash and wholesale fundamentals supported a sharp rise in lean hog futures today. February hogs gained $2.37 and one half. To 73.30 and April hogs firmed $2.70 to close at 80.32 and one half. Over to you, Michelle. Yeah, pretty nice looking day over in the livestock, that's for sure. And uh, we bring back in, well, thank you, Davis. We bring back in with some price market perspective and action today. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. How you doing, Matt? Uh, hi, Michelle. This is actually Joe. This isn't Matt. I don't see Matt. Um, oh, I, I could maybe do a Matt Bennett impersonation. <laughs> But I, I don't know how good you are at doing would that. Fall but. through as soon as you start asking some technical questions. Yeah. yeah. Well. Well, Michelle. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say there's plenty to talk about with. And... Yeah, with Dave Chatterton, strategic farm marketing. Now he's a new voice to me, and if and if I'm not mistaken, I think to AgriTalk in general, Michelle, you're bringing in um, a new voice uh, to you like us. new blood. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, lots to talk about with Dave. I reckon you've got some ideas. Yeah, you bet. Dave uh, comes to us out of central Illinois. And actually, I was going to have him and Garrett Toy on together from Ag Trader Talk uh, for the show today. But Garrett's on next week. And those two, I think Dave actually was kind of the 
uh, mentor for Garrett Toys. So he spoke very highly of him, and that's how I got to know Dave. So you're really going to enjoy his perspective. He does a lot of media around the country for radio stations, RFD TV, a lot of different places. So mm -hmm. we're happy to bring him on here today. And uh, he and I actually did Agdi TV before we jumped on Agritalk here today. So I kind of have a little clue of uh, some of his thoughts for the day coming up here on we're going to talk about the breakout that we saw today, both chart action on both cattle and hogs. Boy, both of those charts are looking good. So whether those are fundamental or whether that's actually the funds coming back here, especially in this cattle market. And then also in the grain trade today, we saw the fourth higher day in the soybeans. So we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, whether we can build on that going forward here. Do we have all the bearishness of this market and the WASD and the other January reports worked in? And are we ready to start looking ahead at South America? So lots wow. of different things coming up. Absolutely. Let's all stay tuned in, gang. Michelle? We'll be back with Dave Chatterton, Strategic Farm Marketing next here on Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on AgriTalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Michelle, I don't know if that came through. I was fiddling around with an X-Acto knife when I should have been taking notes and I stabbed myself in the finger, but I'll be okay, though. I was just laughing when I listened to that music because I thought you and I trying to figure out who was going to talk first was like trying to dance <laughs> together and step on each, other to Ooh, each other's yes. toes. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. A little Tuesday two-step for you, Michelle. Huh? Yeah, it was. It was. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are really happy to have with us Dave Chatterton with Strategic Farm Marketing. He is out of Champaign, Illinois. And Dave, um, I've known you for a little over a year now. And like I said, came to you with a great reference from our friend Garrett Toy over at agtrader.talk. Just tell folks a little bit about yourself uh, to the, our AgriTalk listeners. Yeah, Michelle. Well, it's certainly good to be with you. Thanks for, for having me on. And, you know, good to be with, uh, with Joe and Davis as well. And I guess if you're dancing with uh, with Davis, does that leave me with Joe? Cause I'm afraid so. I guess so. Good, but, mm -hmm. uh, who's yeah. going to lead there is the question. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. But no. So back to your question. And sorry for that. But uh, so, you know, our operation is here in central Illinois and uh, we, strategic farm marketing is is primarily a crop marketing and crop insurance firm here based in Illinois. We've got about 30 
people total in the organization. We write crop insurance in 12 states, do marketing from kind of coast to coast. And, you know, I've been in the business going back to 1990. And my first job out of college worked for Bungie. As you mentioned, I went from there to FC Stone. That's where I met Garrett Toy. He actually was an intern in our office. We hired him from Iowa State. He came over, worked for us for a couple of years. We then transitioned out into a firm that, that I owned, and he was with that for a few years before moving back to Iowa and starting Ag Trader Talk. So I've known him uh, for a while, knew his kids as they grew up. We remain kind of close today. And, of course, he's back in Illinois now. We're not so happy that, about that, and, but we'll, we'll talk about that another day. But um, but anyway, yeah, so we've we've been at it a while here, and, um, you know, it's uh, a beautiful kind of uh, rainy, not ice stormy, 40-degree, uh, dreary, muddy, uh, wet day in Champaign. Well, like I said, um, Garrett, you did a great job training him, but as I've talked to you over the last year, I can see why he had such a great teacher all the way from market perspective down into what I would say the nuts and bolts of farm finances and crop insurance for farmers. But, you know, let's just talk about where we've come from here the last several weeks. You know, these grain markets, we got so, so bearish. It feels like the grain markets are trying to correct. Do you think we have all this bearish news worked into the markets right now? Well, it feels like we're at least going to take a little bit of a rest stop. And I, I think the answer to that is certainly, you know, is maybe the way I frame that up, Michelle, is that the downside is becoming a little bit more limited in comparison to what could happen on the upside. And, you know, we don't have that particular spark right now to, to cause fund short covering or new length to come into the marketplace. And the fundamentals are not shifting dramatically, but we do have a pretty fluid market. We, we're starting to talk about conditions in South America again at this time, more so maybe a little bit about Argentina than the, than the previous story in Brazil. Uh, we're looking at fund positions that are certainly stretched to the to the short side and historically so, and it may mean that you know there's not a lot of room left on that bone or a lot of meat left on that bone. And I think when you look at what's going on outside of our markets and just in the world in general and talk about geopolitics and talk about what's going on with the farm bill and all the things that are going on. I've got spring crop insurance, you know, discovery price coming up here during the month of February. So certainly a lot of things, um, you know, moving into the pipeline here and and no shortage of things to talk about. Hopefully a few of those things are going to be less bearish and and a little bit more about, uh, you know, about what may happen in the future. Well, January is always kind of, uh, a month where we have the winter doldrums. And so this isn't unusual necessarily, but the reports last two Fridays ago certainly didn't help us. That just pushed us even more bearish in terms of our sentiment in this market. But let's talk individually about soybeans up today for the fourth day. As you had told me, we took out the highs from last week. Meal was up here today, kind of leading the charge. Is this all still corrective action or is there fundamentally more that's happening in the market? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. Certainly, we get overextended to the downside. I mean, the downtrend that we have been in here and really still, I guess, technically remain in from a chart standpoint started all the way back in the middle of November. And it's been a, a pretty steep or steady progressive fall from that, you know, above that $14 level all the way down to the $12 level and basically a $2 plus move to the low that we had last week. When we look at kind of, you know, what's happened in, in terms of, you know, the selling that's went into that and, and how you know short these funds are, certainly funds are not at a record short in soybeans. They're closer no. in, in corn than they are in beans. But, you know, when you look at the overall position of the funds, whether it's just the grain complex or adding in the meats and the proteins as well, Certainly, they're stretching the bounds of that historical limit. And I think now, you know, we've 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 got the January USDA report out of the way. We kind of survived that, I guess, or 
didn't, we didn't thrive, but we did survive. And now we're looking ahead of what's going on. And we're, I think we're starting to focus a little bit more on what's happening with freight rates and a little bit more what's happening with China and a little bit more about South America. And in South America, the story actually stays pretty interesting. We're starting to see a number of private analysts dip their, their Brazilian soy production number below that 150 mark and as low as 135, actually. Mm-hmm. And that starts to make a big difference on what their exports can look like through the tail end of the season and what it may look like. In addition to that, Argentina, which is, you know, everyone has been counting on for record crop production and a huge bounce back, almost doubling their production from last year in terms of, of a severe drought. Now going into a little bit of a dry stretch, they've been dry here for a week to 10 days. And the next 10 days looks to be not only dry, but a little bit warm and a little bit reminiscent of kind of what got started there last year. Now, if the rains come in February and they are in that 11 to 16 day forecast, hey, that's a situation that we just don't have much fundamental shift in. But if all of a sudden, you know, that crop in Argentina that the market's been counting on when you take a reduced, you know, Brazilian crop, you know, due to the weather issues, but add in the gains in, in Argentina and throw in Uruguay and Paraguay, you've got a situation where you had a record supply of not only soybeans, but also projecting a record supply of corn in South America. It's now starting to be questioned again here just a little bit. And it's more smoke than fire right now. I don't want to tell you that the market's ready to turn, but I think it gets the attention of these specs when we see you know, how far we've fallen and kind of just where we stand in the overall picture. Right. But when you add Argentina and Brazil together, you're still right now at a record crop and above from last year. So where do we have to go or or where do you think the market will fall here before we start seeing some real some really rally potential come into this soybean market? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think, the, you know, the worst numbers are out there for Brazil at this point. That 135, I just don't see how we go below that. Our current number is probably closer to 147, 148, maybe as low as 145. I think at that point, Michelle, something's mildly below 150 doesn't really change the calculus. Even if I put in a 148 crop for Brazil, keep Argentina at 52, which is kind of where, you know, um, you know, we're Cordonera was here to today. We're, we're in a situation where you have 200 million metric tons of, of overall soybean production between Brazil and Argentina. That compares to last year at 185 million metric tons, essentially, that, that was a record production level. So it's going to take something bigger in terms of Argentina. Now, Argentina's production last year was 25 million metric tons, yeah. and it was 44 the year before. So they took an awful big fall, but the market has them plugged in. The USDA is at 50. Some of the analyst community are at this you know, 52, 53 52. area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seeing them drop below that 40, 40 or excuse me, that 50 area and into that 48 area is all of a sudden going to start to change. And keep in mind, they're the world's, you know, in, in a given, given year, that they're the, the world's biggest processor and exporter of beans products. So the meal and the oil. And I think that was partially reflected in what happened with meal today and that that's starting to get the attention of the marketplace here. Okay. But you don't just need a confirmation of a smaller South American crop. Don't you also have to get China or somebody in buying to also push that soybean market at the same time? Yeah. And I mean, China really is the key here to what's happened. And I mean, we, we just got the, you know, the, the overall buy or the overall, you know, market share percentages for China for, for last year for 2023 and the U.S. shares, you know, below 30%, right. 24%, 24. you know, not, yeah, not looking uh, very spiffy in, in Brazil at 70, you know, or 72%. So what you need when you look at those soybean exports, if you if you break down the, well, the domain components of the soybean complex, basically you've got crush and exports that make up 94, 95% of your overall demand here in the U.S. 
we know crush is running at a record level. Um, we know the margin, you know, the crush margins have collapsed just a little bit here. They've made a bounce back. They've stabilized here. We don't expect that situation to change very much, but asking crush to perform at a, at an even higher level and start reducing that balance sheet and starting that rally is going to be a pretty tough ask. So it comes down to exports. And when you look at exports and you look at our traditional partners and kind of what they've taken and, and, and you know, they relatively speaking, they've overperformed to a degree. What we have found, you know, is that, you know, in asking those countries to, you know, buy even more than they already have is going to be a tough ask. So it comes down to the big hole left by China and the, the big deficit year over year that they are, that they sit in, in terms of how many beans they haven't bought from the U S. And so, right. you know, we thought there would be an opportunity there with a late Brazilian harvest and some, some light and, you know, and quality issues and logistical issues in Brazil with that early crop in the North, they've chosen instead of, to, instead of coming to the U S they've chosen to come and, or excuse me, pull down their own reserves and wait for that new crop Brazilian supply to become right. available. So, yeah, we become a second supplier, second source supplier to China, unfortunately, and that's a bad place to be in right now. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more with Dave when we come back about what about Brazil's second crop corn? We'll talk about that coming up next. Let's go to the markets page at profarmer.com and check today's closes. Where March hard red winter wheat futures firmed 10 and one half cents to 617 and one half. March SRW wheat unchanged 596 and one half. March corn futures firmed three quarters of one cent to 446 and one half. May corn added one half cent to 456 and three quarters. March soybean futures firmed 15 and one quarter cents to close at 1239 and one quarter. May beans up 14, 1247. March cotton softened 23 points to 8460. On your livestocks, February fat cattle firmed 87 and one half cents to 174.65. March feeder futures firmed 237 and one half to 233.65. February lean hogs gained 237 and a half to 73.30, and the April contract up 270, 80.32 and to produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The truth is hard to come by these days, unless you listen to AgriTalk. Maybe someday I'll 
Hey, welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Michelle Rookin for Chip Flory. We're continuing our conversation with Dave Chatterton with Strategic Farm Marketing. And Dave, we kind of teed up talking a little bit about the South American crop on the soybean side of things, but let's talk about uh, corn and the Brazilian corn crop, the second crop corn, how much of that is not going to get planted because of some of the drought concerns that we've had in some of those areas. And just the fact that, you know, there's some of that corn that may be too late to plant. Yeah, Michelle, I mean, it's kind of an interesting question. I mean, we thought early in the year that the numbers may be a little bit worse. And when we look at what's going on right now, I think, you know, what we're hearing from the farmers on the ground in Brazil is that they're actually going to maybe roll the dice on a little bit more safrina corn than they intended to early. And I think that comes out of a reflection of, of what at least to date have been in the early part of harvest, some disappointing bean yields, some beans that are coming off a little bit early in terms of maturity because of hot and dry weather and conditions and and a little bit of drought during their, their growing season. Now, it's a complicated question because the amount of money that they're willing to spend in terms of seed and technology and inputs to, to maximize those those corn yields is probably not, you know, going to be on the high side. True. So, we're you know, you're in a situation here where it's very complicated. The profitability on corn is not real, you know, real, real spiffy at the moment. But when you step back and look at it, and for, you know, someone who's listening and maybe doesn't look at that every day, you know, more than 80% of Brazil's overall corn production comes from that safrina corn crop or that crop that's planted as a second crop behind a full season soybean. So that planting is getting started right now. It'll go for the next, you know, 30, 40 days and, you know, trying to beat, as you indicated, the the dry season, which starts, you know, basically in, in May and June. And so, you know, we don't know a lot about what the, what the, the season itself and the weather will bring. I think the acreage, you know, over under is probably maybe something on the order of, you know, a 5% or more decrease from, from where we were at last year, plus or minus. But I think it's going to be a game time decision for a lot of these producers as they pull the beans off. I think there's we're, we're going to creep in a few more corn acres than what was originally anticipated. But certainly overall production in Brazil is going to be down year over year because of that acreage decline, regardless of what happens on the yield side of the, of the equation. Yeah, it's not going to be a record crop like it was last year anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any kind of path towards that. I mean, they produced a crop of 137 million metric tons last year, um, easily a record for them. Uh, the USDA originally had them plugged in at, I think, at 129. They've dropped to 127. We're probably in that, you know, sub-120 range right now. But even with that, I mean, it goes back to a similar situation that we talked about in the soybeans. When you look at, you know, where the Brazilian, excuse me, where that Argentine crop is is expected to be anyway at this particular point in that, we'll call it 55 to 58 range, you're still looking at so or combined corn production between Brazil and Argentina that's going to produce a record supply. Now, the okay. Safrina crop and how the Brazilian, excuse me, and how the Argentinian crop ends are going to have something to say about that. We don't, we don't feel as confident on that as we do on the bean numbers just because of where we're at in the crop cycle. But if they are down from last year, does that allow the U.S. to have a little opportunity to pick up some of those exports? Potentially. I mean, there's a timing issue there. There's a there's a there's an issue there. I think even if the U.S. is the cheapest, you know, fob offer out there, we still have issues with freight and what's going on at the Panama Canal. And it's an issue that we could probably devote a whole show to, but it's not going away anytime soon in terms of this low water and, and you know, and, and, and high freight rates. So that's hurting our chances. I think the other issue is is China. It goes back to the, you know, the, the China situation again. When you look at our export scenario on corn as far as what we've sold year to date or shipped year to date from the US, 
our traditional export partners in Japan, Mexico, South Korea, Colombia uh, have taken it, you know, again, a large amount of corn, a large additional amount of corn this year versus what they took the previous year. But where we find the hole is that China, China's had a good corn crop. At least that's what they're telling us. And, you know, their, you know, their, their demand seems to be a little bit muted on the corn side right now. And mm-hmm. very possible that they may come to the U.S. for some corn, I think, later in the year. But I think they're going to be very price conscious and buy what they feel is value. And whether that value was this 450 level that we hit, whether it's 425, whether it's $4 in their mind, I think that's a little bit more of a debate. At this point, especially when you look at the corn market in a 2.16 billion bushel carryout, is South America's crop or China demand picking up the only way that we're going to rally this corn market in your mind? Well, I think that's got to be the part of it. I mean, we obviously have a big fund short in the corn complex. I mean, we right. haven't short starting the week here, week here, excuse me, in about 272,000 contracts, record shorts around 345,000. So they're pushing the envelope on that side of the fence. And that spark could come from any kind of money flow issue, whether it be a Fed decision, whether it be a geopolitical event, or, you know, we've got these these wars going on and different things. So, I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be that. The easiest way for that to happen is certainly – uh, with that demand, you know, coming in and, and 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 taking up the slack a little bit here. If not, when we look at what's happening going into 2024, you've got, you know, a burdensome carryout this year that looks to grow next year. And most analysts right now are taking anywhere between, let's say, one and a half and three and a half million acres off of the corn balance sheet and spreading that mostly into soybeans. But using a USDA trend yield at 181, which I could argue is a little bit high, even if we adjust that a little bit lower, we're still looking at a you know a year-over-year carryout increase or ending stocks increase in that four to six hundred million bushel range. And so, looking for an additional four to six hundred million, let's say bushels of demand on that twenty-four balance sheet or twenty-four twenty-five balance sheet to kind of keep us even at the level that we're at this year, Michelle, going to be a pretty big lift. And yeah, so the you know the writing's on the wall there. It's a defensive marketing you know environment for producers here at the moment, especially when we look at what's going on for twenty twenty four. Yeah, how much old crop corn and savings are left to be sold? Do you think? Yeah, it depends on who you talk to. It's and it's an interesting question. We've been looking at it a lot. We actually went down and drilled through our own marketing customers, so our clients who you know pay us for you know for marketing service, and we and we do that. They were fifty seven percent sold on twenty twenty three corn, thirteen percent sold on twenty twenty four corn. So that core numbers actually come up a little bit from where it stood before the first of the year. It was closer to 38 or 39%. So there's been a few sales that have snuck in here, but, you know, beans were at 67% on the 23 crop and about 8% is what we see on 2024. Now that's not necessarily what our recommendations were. That's where we find our actual client base and, you know, and it's, and it's a broad average. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but there's certainly uh, an anxiety level here at the, at the producer level that mm-hmm. they feel undermarketed, and you know who wouldn't based on the price action that we've seen, and unless you've sold your entire crop or ninety percent of it, et cetera, you're going to feel like, hey, I'm behind the boat. And I think that question is not only a, a you know an old crop question, but is increasingly a, a new crop question here as we look at the at these values and what producers feel their break evens are. Yeah, let's talk about those break evens. How much different do they look? And I guess right now, and what is that going to mean for this acreage mix this next year? Yeah, I mean, certainly the input values are down more so on the corn side than the soybean side. That has a lot to do with nitrogen. And, you know, in our part of the world, Michelle, I mean, we had a very good fall for application and, and field work in the fall. And so a lot of gas went on, you know, um, you know, last fall that 
those acres are kind of locked up, but there's still definitely some acres in play here and you get outside of the core of the Midwest and, and you can argue that, that things can change and, and where we're at. I think when farmers, you know, initially we're making some decisions, you know, let's say last fall and in, in, in deciding what to do, you know, that corn bean ratio was certainly a little bit more favorable towards the soybeans. Now we're in a little bit more of a, we, we went to a more of a very neutral situation. Now we're back maybe leaning just a little bit on soybeans, but I think the financing side also has something to do with that and where these operating notes are and what the bankers are saying, you know, farmers are, in general, I'll say pretty well capitalized after a good run in 2020, 2021, and, and 22, a little bit less so in 23. But 24 looks like a challenge on paper. I think the, the lenders are aware of that. That's going to force a few more acres into beans. So the over-under right now maybe in that two to two and a half million acre, I, I think, swing level from soybeans or from, excuse me, from the corn into the soybeans here this year. And of course, the wheat acres are in play, the cotton acres are in play, you know, sorghum and some of the smaller crops are, are certainly out there as well. The prevent plant issue is, you know, it always can be an issue here once we get going in the spring. So those are some of the things that we talked about earlier that the market is going to have to start talking about and, and, and kind of dealing with and putting a, a risk factor against as we get a little bit closer to planting time here in yeah. the U.S. this spring. Absolutely. If you look at trendline yield with, you know, even 2 million less acres of corn, you're still looking at a big ending stocks number, I'm sure. So, yeah. And I yeah. mean, you know, it just, it, it, it doesn't look good on paper now. It's always no. going to change. We know that this really the process, these, you know, you know, but an analyst long enough to know that you're wrong, you're wrong a lot of times on those long, sure. long end, uh, you know, operations, but that's just part of where we're at. We have to make decisions today based on what we do know. And when we look forward, you know, that ending stocks, and, and stocks to use ratio are, are typically your best guide as a producer of where prices are pointing. And right now, you know, both of those would lean a little bit in the bearish category. Absolutely. And crop insurance prices set in February, those are going to look a lot different than 23 as well, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you know, you looked at the prices last year in 2023, the spring prices were better than the fall, but the spring price was 591 in corn, 1376 in beans. And, definitely going to be a different, you know, a, a different year this year in terms of what those guarantees offer. I think there's also a play there with producers who have used the SCO and some of the county products with the ARC PLC changes and what's happening there and the reference price, you know, change versus the ARC and, and the adjustment on the Olympic average. That ARC is all of a sudden looking like a better product for a lot of producers in terms of just it's a free product and it, you know, it, it pays on base acres. It's a yeah. little bit different animal and a different creature, but it's a decision that a lot of producers are going to have to deal with here. We've got the, the FSA decision for your RPLC is also March 15th, right along with your crop insurance deadline. And so, um, you know, I'm sure people will be talking to their agents as we go, as we go forward. And, you know, we have a good number of guys in our area that did do margin protection last fall for the 2024 crop that I think are very glad they did it. Those, those numbers were 509 on corn and 1293, excuse me, on soybeans. So, you know, going to be a different kind of a year in terms of the, the ability to to take risk off the table with those crop insurance products. Yeah. Just quick, are you making any new crop sales yet? We have been. I've been a little bit reluctant to do them on the way down here, but certainly okay. we see these corn back above five, no beans, you know, okay. moving in towards 13. We're, we're back in the game. All right. Stick with us. Dave Chatterton with Strategic Farm Marketing. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about livestock. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag Agritalk. And welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Michelle Rook, and we've been visiting with Dave Chatterton with Strategic Farm Marketing. And I want to talk a little bit about livestock here, but I had uh, one question I wanted to talk about with corn in terms of price action today, you know, three quarters of a cent higher in the March corn futures. And, you know, we just seem to be kind of moving in a sideways pattern here the last few days after we put the reversals in last Thursday, Dave. Yeah, Michelle, we haven't had a lot of luck, you know, with any traction below that 440 level, but we're also, you know, on, on the top side, not having much luck with traction above that 446 or into that 450 area. And, you know, today was another day of that. We, it looks like we have a little hope early in the day, and then we kind of, by the end of the day, do that. And, you know, technically, when you go back and look at this market, I mean, we had been in a, you know, kind of a, a downward sloping channel going all the way back to last August. And unfortunately, you know, we had prices last summer or late la- even last fall that were in that 520 range, and we dropped all the way down to 437 here. So as you said, we reversed off of that. Last week, we've been adding a little bit, you know, to that, but we just, it's come awfully slow here. And I think that has to do with the weight, you know, or the, the relative, I guess I'll say, excess capacity of the U.S. balance sheet and corn and those carryout stocks yeah. that we talked about that were north of 2 billion bushels. And funds are heavily short, but there's also a lot of room for error. And, you know, going into next year, it looks like there'll be even more room. So getting those shorts, you know, incentivized to cover the positions and move out, you know, seems to be a little bit of a lift right now. Now, if soybeans Absolutely. continue to go, certainly it's a it's a different situation. But right now, it's the the little train that could that's trying to struggle to get up the hill, and and so far not not getting a lot of altitude. Yeah, that's a really good description. Cattle, nice update. You know, was that funds coming back into the market to buy, or do you think we're pushing this market here with box beef values, which have rallied back of the three hundred dollar mark in the choice? Yeah, I think we've got a better fundamental situation than, than what was expected, and that's getting the attention of the funds via the charts and the action that we had today, kind of nudging at a new high here. And I think the expectation coming off the cattle on feed report and looking at, you know, kind of going through the holidays and then the weather that we suffered through or are still maybe coming off the back end of was that, you know, chain speeds and, and slaughter rates were going to pick up, that weights were going to start increasing again, and that that production was going to going to continue to kind of weigh on this front end that hasn't been the most current, you know, situation that we've had. Instead, we've had, you know, and I think the idea early in the week was, you know, hey, that's going to be the end of this rally in the box beef market. Instead, the box beef market continues to rally. And as you said, midday, I mean, we're out here above $300 and, you know, up another $2 and some change. We'll see how the the final close comes in. But 
certainly it's a market that all of a sudden technically is starting to perform. And that fund length in the market, you know, the beginning of the week anyway, we had the funds along 13,000 contracts in the cattle, very kind of neutral position and certainly wedged down from that, you know, 80,000 contract long that we had, you know, late last summer. So some room there to, to, to perform. And I think technically the market, when you look at, you know, go back and look at the reversal off the low that we have, we talked about it in corn, but in, in cattle, you go back in April cattle, I mean, bottomed on the 7th of December, had a very nice sharp rally the next day, two days after that, you know, continued to rally and, and confirmed that bottom. And we've seen some technical uptake since that point. Yeah. So despite what's been some hesitancy, I think on the fundamental side, demand looks durable and these, these packers all of a sudden look like they're in the, in the, in the black again and, and, and maybe going to be out here for some cattle. So I think we've gotten above 38% retracement levels. I don't know that we've gotten to 50% retracements. Are we getting close? Do you think we'll get to that level? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think you have to question what the ability is on the upside here. Maybe, you know, kind of what the potential is, is maybe the way to say that just based on, you know, the amount of cattle that we're going to have to chew through here in the near term. Now, I mean, if you want to talk about where the placements total took us and what that means maybe for the second half of the year, hey, you know, no problem in, in doing so. And I, I think you can do that. But in the meantime, it's it's a little bit of a, a of a big ask. I think you can have yeah. some money, money flow and money movement in here, Michelle, but I just... I don't know where you're going to get it, depending on how you want to measure your retracements. If you take it all the way back to, you know, where we were last fall and, you know, up towards that $200 mark to get a 50% retracement. I mean, you're talking about getting this market to about almost just 183. And, you know, we've got a good premium in the April versus the Feb, but, you know, uh, I won't rule it out, but I would say that we're going to have some fits and starts along the way and maybe kind of a, a two steps forward, one step back type of a process in doing so. We'll see if we get a big push here after the cattle inventory report. What about the hogs? Uh, do you think we had a chart breakout here today? Yeah, I do. I mean, pretty impressive action there. And again, when you look at that that April contract, which is the most heavily traded right now, uh, a breakout to a new high, that's the highest level that we've had. You're really going back to, you know, mid or, or maybe, you know, right around that, that middle part of November. And in doing so, I mean, you know, we confirmed a bottom here a few weeks ago, again, very similar to what we just talked about in the, in the, in the cattle only more recently, but a strong update after a bottom, some follow through to that and, and kind of confirming that bottom to a degree. And sure. we had a little bit of consolidation after that. When you look at what happened over the last really week and a half, we got into a little bit of a pennant situation where we had a strong move up and then a little bit of a flag off of that. We broke out above that flag today and have a higher measurement really in terms of the technicals in the marketplace. The funds coming into the week really short about 2000 contracts are basically neutral this market, which is a little unusual this time of year. And, right. you know, I think this is a good sign. If you're a technician, this is a breakout. This is a, a market that wants to go higher. And, um, right. you know, I, 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 you know, sometimes the fundamentals don't fit or they don't fit right away. And I would say we're in that situation, but you know, money flow and price action rules here and that, that action is pointing higher here at the moment. Well, let's hope we can keep it going. It's been a tough by year for the pork producers. Dave, Dave, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. No, thank you, Michelle. It's been yeah. fun. And, uh, and and thank you. Dave Chatterton with Strategic Farm Marketing. And uh, Davis, tomorrow mm -hmm. we are going to have Arlen Suderman with StoneX and Darren Fry with Water Street Solutions joining us to talk a little bit about markets. What do you got going on tomorrow for AgriTalk AM? Uh, tomorrow morning, we're uh, we're going to speak with Ernie Goss, and uh, then we've got a couple. Well, I saw one guest confirmed. We're, I think we're still waiting on the second guest to confirm. Got them both. If I can, got them both. Huh? Got them both. Got them both. Got you got them both. both. All right. We got uh, we got Ben Rents cheap and Ted the Hammer. 
coming up on uh, tomorrow morning's Farmer Forum. Um, by the way, the uh, 6 to 10 day and the uh, 11 to 14 day outlooks, pretty simple. Hot. All right. The 6 to 10 day, everybody's hot above normal temperatures except for uh, the very southeast. About a, you know, three-way split on the on the precip on the 6 to 10 day. We get hotter further eastward and more precipitation comes in in the 8 to 14 day. Michelle. Well, thanks for doing the two-step with me today, Davis. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You got to dance with who brung you. You know, that's what yeah, I Yeah, no say. doubt. All right. Well, it's been fun. Uh, again, Davis Michelson joining us, our handsome newsman. Thanks to Joe Stackler and uh, for Chip Flory. I'm Michelle Rook here. Thanks for joining us for Agritalk. Thank you.